Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. are horrible and horrific. There is an investigation the president certainly supports overseen by this, the Department of Homeland Security, which he has conveyed will, uh, will happen quickly. I can also convey to you that the secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has been made in response. But it's not the horses that are the problem in Del Rio now, is it? It's not Border Patrol on horseback doing their job. That's not the problem in Del Rio. That's not the problem at the southern border. Border Patrol isn't the issue. Policy is the issue. What has changed between the Donald Trump administration and the Joe Biden administration? What are we looking at as opposed to what it is we are told to look at? If the argument is that one Border Patrol agent on horseback utilizing their reins to control a horse is going to be seen by those who are interested in being political as opposed to being rational on the border and be seen as some kind of bigoted moment to taking away, you being utilized to take away an opportunity for the Border Patrol to do their job properly. What are we saying about what we think about the border to begin with? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Let me bring in Laura Reese right here. I think I'm pronouncing it right. R-I-E-S, the director at the Center for Technology Policy and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at Heritage Center, heritage.org. She addressed this issue with Fox Business just the other day. And when we take a look at the border, we take a look at this, this conversation as we see it, it very much seems to me that we're having two different conversations. People like myself are discussing the problem at the border with illegal immigration and seemingly this this Biden administration having an open arms type of viewpoint, not only in their rhetoric, but in what's actually happening. Then we have the people who say, how dare you talk about the border? Everything revolves around some level of race and anything that can be a distraction to a border conversation takes front and center stage for the Biden administration. So first things first, is it a crisis at the border? Thank you, Tony, for having me on. And yes, it's it's a crisis. It's a catastrophe. We're, we're wearing out the thesaurus for how bad this has been at the border for the past eight months. And you're right. The left will do anything to talk about something else, to distract. Uh, they will make up uh, lies out of whole cloth, which is what they did regarding the horse patrol attacking Haitian illegal aliens. And anyone with eyes to see can tell that's what's going on. Now, you've spent time with the Department of Homeland Security. You actually served as the acting deputy chief of staff. So this isn't something that is anathema to you. This is something that you have been up close and in front of for a good long time. I accept and I agree that it's a crisis at the border. The thing that we cannot get our arms around, those of us on the outside, is why is it a crisis at the border? What was the Trump administration doing? What is the Biden administration doing? And what is the real difference? What is the maybe one or two or three things you can point to and say that is where the issue lies? The difference comes down to the law and whether someone wants to enforce immigration law or not. 
The Trump administration faced a border crisis in uh, late 2018, early 2019. There were caravans of illegal aliens coming up uh, from Central America and through Mexico. But the Trump administration wanted to enforce the law. We are still the most generous country in terms of lawful immigration, um, but we should not be allowing illegal aliens in. So uh, President Trump was building the border wall. He started the Remain in Mexico program, which Congress authorized back in 1996, that said, yes, you can come and claim asylum, but you're going to wait on the Mexican side of the border while your case is proceeding. That told would-be migrants, it is no longer a golden ticket to just claim fear in a few words, and voila, you can disappear into the U.S., never to appear again uh, to pursue that asylum claim. He made agreements using strong U.S. leverage with respect to the governments of Mexico and Central America to enforce their own borders, to build up their own asylum systems, and it worked. The caravan stopped coming, and we had no border crisis in 2020. Talking to Laura Reese. Am I pronouncing it right, by the way? Is it Reese? Yes, you are. Thank you. I just I want to make sure. Director of the Center for Technology Policy, Senior Research Fellow for of Homeland Security from the Heritage Foundation, also a law graduate from Valparaiso. I always like to appreciate fellow Hoosiers uh, when they do good work. So we have a, a conversation about following law versus not following the law. And as you're discussing it, the the specific nature of the Remain in Mexico policy, we have Governor Abbott of Texas now working to sue the DOJ, or sue the federal government to bring back, or maybe it's Ken Paxton doing that, to bring back this policy, this Remain in Mexico policy. By not enforcing this and not engaging this, this has been the, the trigger to people saying, well, now we can come across the border. So now we have this issue of the Haitian immigrants. We have heard that there were 15,000 under the bridge. There's now under 8,000. There's a possibility of another 15,000, 20,000 Haitians trying to make their way who have been in South America getting out of Haiti for a a while now, seeing their opportunity to get to the United States. They've crossed the Rio Grande and they're engaged in this encampment underneath the International Bridge in Del Rio. That in and of itself the idea that that many Haitians were able to cross and create an encampment. This can't be something that Border Patrol thought was the best idea. This is the way we should handle it, could it? No, and the administration knew. They had reports that large numbers were coming up all the way from points as south as as Panama, and they didn't uh, heed the warnings. Also, the agents months ago warned headquarters that they were understaffed and under-resourced in Del Rio, and that if large numbers of illegal aliens came to that area, they would be overwhelmed. And that's exactly what happened. This has been an optics headache for the White House. Uh, They want to move on. They, in fact, have given an order that that bridge be cleared out. There are bulldozers down there clearing away the makeshift stick uh, tents, etc., Uh, Because there's going to be a Black Lives Matter protest in the area tomorrow, and and they wouldn't want things to look bad. So they have injected race into this, as you talked about earlier, with the whole made-up horse patrol issue. And they have just handled this terribly from start to finish. They won't tell the numbers of how many are being released into the U.S. 
They're trying to portray that most, if not all, of these Haitians are being deported. That is not true. Most of them are being released into the U.S., um, and they're just telling lie after lie. Secretary Mayorkas continues to claim the border is closed. It is laughable, but it would be funny if it weren't so dangerous for this country. This is going to have very long-term negative effects for the United States. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, talks about the border being closed. You're right, it is not. Jen Psaki, the White House Press Secretary, has said the border is closed. Of course it is not. Uh, but as somebody who did not serve in law enforcement and has not uh, been a part of, of Homeland Security, I, I have watched and, and, and often wonder exactly how angering these moments, whether we're discussing defund the police or what we're seeing on the border, how, how angering these moments are for those who are in it and do work in it. So I want to get to specifically what we have seen with this photo. Here is a Border Patrol agent utilizing their reins to control the horse. And yes, this is about keeping uh, migrants from entering the United States. Everyone now decides who wants to decide things politically and racially that it's a whip and it's the, it's disturbing, it's disgusting. And now, as we heard from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, horses will not be used on the border. So two questions. First, one of just a uh, technical skill, uh, strategy how important are horses on the border in terms of safety and security of the nation and number two the people you know within homeland security and the people that you know within the border patrol when they see the white house do this to a border patrol member because it is it is flagging them as somehow the enemy as the bad person what does that do to morale how does border patrol react to those things horses are absolutely necessary in that area and they've been used for centuries. Um, Texas is very rural. It is vast and there, and it has rough terrain. So horses are an essential tool. Um, I tweeted out yesterday, a picture of Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee talking with uh, horse patrol back in 2017. So apparently it was fine um, to, for them to do their jobs back then, but, but not now what's changed. Um, in terms of the morale of the agents, it couldn't be lower. And I, I'm amazed more agents haven't quit because they have been completely handcuffed in their ability to do their job, whether it's telling ICE agents not to detain or deport uh, most illegal aliens and criminal aliens who are here or not allowing uh, Border Patrol agents to do their job, stopping wall construction, making their job impossible. Now to claim that they are racist and treating these aliens like slaves just because they're trying to do their job in impossible situations that this administration created, it's, again, I I would not be surprised if there are many more uh, resignations, early retirements, et cetera. And we cannot forget the president's vaccine mandates. Um, you know, th- these agents are facing very difficult decisions. Laura Reese, Director, Center for Technology Policy and Senior Research Fellow at Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. Before uh, I-, I let you go, is there any chance the Biden administration makes a change and handles this border properly? And if they don't, I mean, I would, I would ask, what would be the first change you would make? And if they don't, what is it that Americans should expect? I unfortunately fear a terrorist attack 
to get their attention. Um, we cannot forget about the um, record number of, of drugs, including fentanyl, that are crossing this border and killing Americans. I haven't had wor- heard word one from the administration about that. How many Americans have to die from drug overdoses before maybe they'll pay attention to it? Also, the, with the border wide open, the fall of Afghanistan, the revitalization of the Taliban, ISIS, and al-Qaeda, uh, we have to expect that there are known and suspected terrorists already in the U.S. continuing to come through that border, and it's just a matter of time before uh, there is a terrorist attack. Laura Reese, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I hope you'll come back and join us again. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. It's a recall on snorkels. And normally I wouldn't pay attention at all. But it's from Costco, 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 Costco. You've heard of Costco. They've got the hot dogs. It's a drowning hazard. This is a serious thing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. So Costco sells these these snorkels. They're from Huish, H-U-I-S-H. So I'm pretty sure they're made in China. Huish Outdoors. 76,000 oceanic adult dry top snorkels have been recalled because they can leak, allowing unexpected water entry, which means, of course, you will drown. And it's not that they want you to stop using them. They should be destroyed immediately, and there are actually instructions online of how to destroy the snorkel. Can you incorrectly destroy a snorkel? I don't believe so. As far as I know, as long as you have a kid under the age of 10, safety goggles and a hammer, you're fine. What else does it take? How in the world do you properly destroy this thing? It doesn't make any sense at all. This should be an easy, easy bit of destruction. But it, it actually is a serious thing. People buy them, and then they'll, they'll, they're all going to go out, and they're going to have a great time. You can get seriously hurt. You can get seriously hurt. So anytime there's a recall, they were sold at Costco between February and July of, of 2021. You know, I, 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 these things matter. When Usually it's like a food recall, especially when it's like pet food or something like that. I always try and bring that up because people are crazy about their pets nuts about their pets. And we just had uh, the, the the kid's guinea pig passed away. And, like, we ended up taking these guinea pigs because somebody didn't want the guinea pigs and couldn't handle all the guinea pigs. They had a lot of guinea pigs. So we took these two guinea pigs. And uh, my, my kids had talked about pets before but never really showed interest. Love these guinea pigs. Crazy about them. Crazy. Hershey and Scooter, the names of our guinea pigs. Well done, well done. And and then and then Hershey died. And like like we saw that Hershey wasn't acting right. Like, we don't know what to do here. We checked with some people, checked with some but next thing you know, Hershey is gone. And there was a funeral and there were tears. And then we're like, what do a scooter? Do you match ma- match him up and, and you know, get a friend in there? And some people are like, once you hit a certain age with a guinea pig, you just leave him be. So you're like, okay, it's another year, like year and a half. This guinea pig, and 
kids would take the guinea pig out and like let it like eat eat the grass and oh the love and I I just you know it's it's just not one of those pets I I ever thought about or anything. Kids loved it. Kids absolutely positively adored it. And if there was some kind of recall on on guinea pig food or whatever, and I didn't talk about it, they'd be so mad at me. So whenever it's the pets, oh, go crazy on that. Then there's this story about Marsha Lucas. I had never heard her name. Marsha Lucas was the editor of Star Wars. The original trilogy, she's the ex-wife of George Lucas. So she's the original editor of Star Wars. And there's a, there, I guess she, she's got, uh, she wrote a, a, a forward in a, a book called Howard Kazanjian, A Producer's Life. That's the name of the book. She writes the forward. And in the forward, she beats the living daylights out of J.J. Abrams. They don't have a clue about Star Wars, meaning him and Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. They don't get it. And J.J. Abrams is writing these stories. When I saw the movie where they kill Han Solo, sorry, spoiler alert, I was furious. Absolutely, positively, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I thought, you don't get the Jedi story. You don't get the magic of Star Wars. You're getting rid of Han Solo. And then at the end of this last one, they have Luke disintegrate. Spoiler alert. They killed Han Solo. They killed Luke Skywalker. And they don't have Princess Leia anymore. And they're spitting out movies every year. Oh, my. year. Damn. George, did anyone watch episode one, two, or three, and you're going to cite that George Lucas knows what Star Wars is? Please. Uh, Look, I I hate to break it to you. One, two, and three were terrible. Terrible. But she's right. No, Tony, don't buy into this. And they think she writes. It's important to appeal to a woman's audience. So they now have their main character is this female who's supposed to have Jedi powers. But we don't know how she got Jedi powers or who she is. It sucks. The storylines are terrible. Terrible. Just awful. Go away now. However, um, she did say that watching episode one brought her to tears. (laughs) Of joy or pain? Pain. I remember going out to the parking lot, sitting in my car and crying. I cried. I cried because I didn't think it was very good. And I thought George had such a rich vein to mine, a rich palette to tell stories with. There were things I didn't like about the casting and things I didn't like about the story and things I didn't like. It was a lot of eye candy. So she's burning it all down. I'm bringing her in to direct my next movie. I love this. Uh, she's right. I I was never a fan of, of the Ray character. I thought it was all just nonsense. But then again, I was never a big fan of uh, Star Wars. Spoiler alert. This is Tony Katz today. Words have meaning. And I think this is extremely important. And I think it's important for us, very often people on the political right, to ensure that they understand what words mean because the idea that we disagree with somebody isn't necessarily because of where they sit on the political spectrum, but rather whether or not the conversation that they're a part of is about a different philosophy or a conversation about the Elimination of yours.
Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is good to be with you. And I was scrolling through Facebook, as I have been known to do, and I came across a post from Evan Sayet. And he, what he said here, uh, this is lifelong liberal Glenn Greenwald detailing the leftist collusion to steal the election by covering up the even covering up, even though they know the true story about Hunter Biden's laptop. And this isn't the first time that Evan had made the distinction between the liberal and the leftist. Now, Evan Sane is a well-known comic and humorist and author. Uh, The Woke Supremacy, an anti-socialist manifesto, is available at Amazon.com. You can also find his book, The Kindergarten of Eden, which is based on the talk he gave at Heritage when I first learned about him many, many moons ago before I met him when I moved to California. My father was watching it and shared it with me. The Kindergarten of Eden is a must-read along with The Woke supremacy evan say it joins us right now and you so this is kind of where you live and breathe this is kind of like 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 a field of research that you are you are either the the, the father of or one of the early uh, adopters and uh really uh contributors to but this idea that there's a difference between the liberal and the leftist and how you use glenn greenwald in both these cases to define this, words do have meaning, and it's it's one you can coexist with and one you can't. How do you describe these differences? Well, first of all, hi, Tony, and thanks for having me on. Um, recognize first that by liberal, I'm using the lowercase l, not what's called or what they've co-opted for themselves, because they call themselves liberals, but they are, in fact, leftists. And a liberal lowercase l is open to the idea that other people may have other circumstances, they may have other priorities, they may have other skin color or upbringing, and that one, you know what, they might be right. I'm open-minded enough that if new information comes my way, I'm willing to change, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to adapt. And two, so long as the other lives by certain tenets, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, then they're entitled to all the rights, privileges, protections, and opportunities of a liberal lowercase l society. The leftist, on the other hand, is, as I say in my book, The the Woke Supremacy, it's a supremacist movement. In a supremacist movement, you have to have the right skin color or the right ideology or the right class. Marxism is a supremacist ideology. Islamism is a supremacist ideology. And wokeism or leftism is a supremacist ideology where all rights, privileges, protections, and opportunities belong only to those who possess the right, in this case, ideology. And, and so when you look at Glenn Greenwald, He's willing to provide the other with the privileges, the opportunities, and the protections of good and accurate journalism. The left, on the other hand, will constantly lie so long as it's on behalf of leftism. So, So the difference is the liberal is open to truth, and the liberal is tolerant of disagreement. The leftist is not open to truth. If it opposes the leftist movement, then whether it's historical and Howard Zinn, You know, Howard Zinn famously said, objectivity is undesirable. He said, if you think that history should serve a social purpose, if it should in some way it the causes of humanity, then you make your decisions based on that. So a liberal historian would look at the objective truth and tell the the objective truth. And if it backs up his ideology, 
wonderful. If it doesn't, then he will alter his ideology based on the objective facts. But leftism will not change its ideology. It will change the quote-unquote facts. And this is this is exactly what we see, for example, in the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones. There are no facts involved. Historians have said there are no facts. But what does that matter when it moves a, a, a narrative forward? But let's get continue on on this conversation of definition again talking to evan say it the book the woke supremacy and anti-socialist manifesto is a much must read must get at amazon.com you talk about lowercase l for liberal but this comes off the concept of classical liberalism which is something that you and i both ascribe to and something that has value and that also has nothing to do with the leftism we see of chuck schumer and representative ocasio-cortez Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, and and really uh, the, the the far reaches of Hollywood. Right. I, I mean, everything is for the revolution. The science, the the leftist scientist is a leftist who uses science to advance leftism. The leftist academic is a leftist who uses the color of authority of his academia of his degrees to promote leftism. Uh, the leftist journalist promotes leftism. It, it, it's all how they can use whatever authority and power they have to advance leftism, not advance the truth. And, and, and this is a very dangerous and frightening thing and because they take away from us any ability to defend ourselves or to change their minds. Simply to disagree with the supremacist is enough to, to, to see you considered the other and be part of the cancel movement. You will be canceled if you do not do what the leftists tell you to do. And, and that's very frightening because we've had other supremacist movements. And you know, people confuse supremacist movements with race. But the reality is the vast majority of supremacist movements throughout time, race has not been the determinant of what I call the supreme trait. And as I said at the beginning of this conversation, Islamicism is a supremacist movement. If you have the right creed, you are entitled to all the rights, privileges, protections, and opportunities of Islamist society. If you don't have that trait, which is devout uh, devotion to, to Muhammad, then you are considered the other, and any lie, any act, no matter how egregious, is actually considered to be good. Well, and the same thing is true with the, the Marxist supremacist movement, where if you're in the right class, then you're entitled to the rights, privileges, and protections of Marxist society. And if you're in the wrong class, you're not only not entitled to these things, but you are to be canceled. And it's the same thing with the woke supremacist movement. If you are devout to the leftist movement, then you're entitled to all the rights like freedom of speech. But if you don't, then you don't have the right to freedom of speech. If, if you are not in the right, uh, if, if you're not in the right party, if you're not in the right movement, you're not entitled to the protections of due process. Look at Judge Kavanaugh. If, if, you, if you don't possess the right woke ideology, you're not entitled to the opportunities of having a job or starting a business. So not only is leftism not liberal lowercase l or classical liberalism, if you prefer, but it's actually it's very opposite. And, and I, you know, you were very kind to attribute this line of thinking to me. And, and obviously, I believe I, I contributed quite a bit, but it goes all the way back to the 1980s in a book by Professor Alan Bloom called The Closing of the American Mind. And, and all the way back then, he recognized that students didn't know what they were talking about, but they were damn sure of what they believed. 
And, and that's the way we are today. The left doesn't know what it's talking about because they won't research. They won't use history. They won't use journalism. They won't investigate. They won't go through due process. They know in advance their conclusion, and then everything must fit that conclusion. That's the opposite of liberalism. Talking to Evan Sayet, the book, The Woke Supremacy, an anti-socialist manifesto at Amazon.com. Also get The Kindergarten of Eden. It is a must, must read. Also available at Amazon.com. Let's, let's play this out. Let's build this out because this is the, uh, for maybe some people, the first time of recognizing, you know what? There are people who I disagree with, but I'm still able to speak to. There are people I don't agree with, but we're having conversations, as I often talk about, uh, in, in the cigar lounge where you and I have spent a fair amount of time in our lives, Evan. Uh, you can have these conversations without people feeling the need to throw things at each other or call anybody a racist. It's just this this way of happening. Well, we're seeing this happen with some other people. We are seeing it happen with, with Glenn Greenwald, even though he may have always been this way. You're seeing it in a more pronounced way with Bill Maher, somebody that you have known and worked around and near and with and etc for for a good number of years on his show real time uh, with, with with bill maher you saw it from jk rowling uh the author of the harry potter books when she just simply admitted a basic fact that men are not women and women are not men and we do see them get vilified how many of them will be necessary for more people on on uh, the political right, let's say, to recognize there's a difference between the liberal and the leftist, and we should at least, uh, to to the very best of our ability, make sure that somebody who we disagree with politically knows that we don't disagree with them as a person being able to voice their view. Well, it, it's sort of a race to see which happens first, because one thing about supremacist movements is it doesn't take a whole lot of them. You know, in Nazi Germany in 1944, only 10% of the German population were actual active activist Nazis. All right, in, in the previous Democratic Party supremacist incarnation in the Old South, only about 5 to 10% of the Democrats were actual active activist members of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, around the globe today, it's estimated that only about 5 to 10% of the world's Muslims are actual active activist members of the jihadi movement. The problem isn't the 5 to 10%. The problem is we reach a certain point where that 5 to 10% has so much influence in the universities, in the education of, of the children of the next generation, uh, in propaganda, whether it's news or entertainment, in social communications, that the other 90% grow up so fully steeped in, so wholly surrounded by, and, and, and so denied the opportunity to even entertain an alternative point of view that the most ludicrous narratives of the supremacy are taken simply as given. And, you know, a lot can be learned by going back and reading George Orwell's 1984. And, and in it, he has three slogans that he plasters, Big Brother plasters all around uh, Oceania. And they are so absurdly impossible. Uh, war is peace. Right? The very opposite of the truth. Uh, ignorance is, 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 is uh, power. That's not the right word. But, but ignorance is strength. And the other one was uh, freedom is slavery. And they, people believed it. And you say to yourself, nobody can believe something so opposite of the truth. But when you are so fully surrounded by, so fully steeped in, that you can't even entertain any other point of view, the opposite of the truth becomes just simply the given. And you can see this with slogans that you hear people on the left using today. 
silence is violence. That's the slogan straight out of Orwell. That's diametrically opposed to the truth. Silence is the opposite of violence. And yet, because we are getting to that point, that tipping point, where it doesn't matter that only 5 to 10% of them are actually these supremacists themselves, when they have the control that they have in academia, in media, in uh, uh, social communications, when they can cut off the truth from being spoken, you know, one of the reasons Hitler put the Jews into ghettos was to remove their voice from the community so that they could not counter the lies of the supremacy with their humanity. Well, the means he employed were different because the technologies were different. But when they ghettoized me, when I'm permanently banned from Twitter, they succeeded in ghettoizing my voice, removing my voice from the community so I cannot counter their lies with the truth. And that's exactly what we saw with, with the Hunter Biden story. It was absolutely true what the New York Post wrote. But if you're out there reading social communications uh, and, 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 and you can't see this because uh, Jack has decided that you can't see this, then it's not that you are yourself a supremacist. It's just that you've never heard any other point of view. Evan Sayet is his name. The book, The Woke Supremacy, an anti-socialist manifesto. Find that at Amazon.com and be sure to get The Kindergarten of Eden also there at Amazon. Both of them are must-buys. Evan, always good to talk to you. We've got more coming. I'm Tony Katz. So Chris Cuomo was uh, sexually harassing a, a television producer. No, not 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 Andrew Cuomo. No, 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 no. D- different Cuomo. See, when we talk about Andrew Cuomo, we hear this. But when we talk Chris uh, Cuomo, we usually hear something like this. I don't seem to have my Fredo sound effect with me. I apologize. Tony Katz, so good to be with you guys. Shelly Ross, journalist, former executive producer at ABC and CBS, wrote an essay at the New York Times, Chris Cuomo sexually harassed me. I hope he'll use his power to make change. I was Chris Cuomo's boss at ABC News nearly two decades ago. I'm a regular viewer of CNN today, so I've long watched how he communicates on camera and witnessed at times how he behaved behind scenes this year as he escaped accountability for advising former Governor Andrew Cuomo during his sexual harassment scandal. Two moments crystallize for me how Mr. Cuomo performs. Now, this is kind of uh, interesting that she goes on to discuss his harassment. And basically how uh, there's emails out there of him basically apologizing to her. Look, uh, innocent until proven guilty. I believe that even for Chris Cuomo. But I would start with the point that here he is advising his brother on how to handle a sex scandal while he was doing things like interviewing his brother regarding the COVID scandal. And you can't tell me the two things weren't happening simultaneously. 
That is a problem. I don't think it's a problem if uh, if somebody comes to you off the record, hey, what do you think of this? I actually think that that is okay. But if that's going to now, you know, affect how you do your reporting, well, that's a serious issue. That's a serious issue. If it's family, you have no possibility of being objective, which Chris Cuomo has said. So the only thing you could be doing is purposefully ignoring the story in hopes that no one will pay attention to it or push the story in a way that will keep it away from family. And that's what he did, and that's why I think he should be removed from the airwaves, if only because CNN should try and get some ratings. But where does this go? I'm innocent until proven guilty. That's where I'm at. That's at the first. Secondly, it hasn't been a good couple months for the Cuomos. I don't think it's going to get better for Fredo anytime soon. This is Tony Katz today.